From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. I, I think of every flavor as like a puzzle, right? And you have to like really go about the journey and like try a lot of things that won't work. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. You just heard from today's guest, Tyler Malik. Now, Tyler is the head ice cream maker and co-founder of Salt and Straw, the ingredient-driven scoop shop that he launched with his cousin in Portland in 2011. Now, if you've been to a Salt and Straw ice cream shop before, you'll know the flavors go beyond your chocolate and your vanilla. Working with local farmers, chefs, chocolatiers, brewers, you get the idea. Tyler has invented hundreds of ice cream flavors, and now they're accessible for home cooks through this new cookbook with chapters like the classics, such as my favorite, the sea salt ice cream with caramel ribbons, to the farmer's market series, think caramel corn on the cob or cauliflower garam masala ice creams, and even a Thanksgiving series with recipes for a cranberry apple stuffing and a salted caramel Thanksgiving turkey ice cream creams. Now, in today's show, we're talking with Tyler about Salt and Straw's humble beginnings. Hint, there were a few Goodwill-acquired ice cream machines involved. About how Tyler appreciates the constraints of ice cream making. Yes, they do exist. And of course, we're playing an ice cream making game that, trust me, you won't want to miss. It's a lot of fun. And later in the show, we're catching up with food writer and cookbook reviewer Paula Forbes about what trends we should watch for in this fall's new cookbook releases. Plus, we've got recipes for two salt and straw ice creams that you can make in your own ice cream machine at home straight from the salt and straw cookbook. Cool down, I know it's been hot lately, with goat cheese and Marionberry habanero ice cream or the Meyer lemon blueberry buttermilk custard. And of course, we're stopping by Omnivore Books in San Francisco to chat with Celia Sack. All of that this week on Salt and Spine. So let's head now to our studio inside the Civic Kitchen Cooking School in San Francisco, where Tyler Malik joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Tyler. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so thank excited. you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Our little, like, I don't know, it's not really a doppelganger name. but Yeah, like, we're practically cousins, I, I think. know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, uh, very saltiness in our, like, <laughs> similarities, I guess. Um, so we're here to talk about your cookbook, the Salt and Straw Ice Cream Cookbook. Um, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Very exciting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, so um, we'll come back to the book, but I actually want to okay. start by talking a little bit more about you and Salt and Straw. Um, and for folks who might not have been to a Salt and Straw before, can you tell us a little bit about what Salt and Straw is? Yeah, um, my cousin and I started Salt and Straw in 2011 in Portland, Oregon. And we had this vision of creating a space that like really brought people together and was a space for you to learn about, um, you know, the food in your neighborhood. And it kind of transformed beyond that, I think, to something a little bit more, uh, we almost create flavors of ice cream that take you on a journey and you get to learn about, um, I think, you know, obviously the food around you, but also like we get to talk about really fun projects like, you know, nonprofits or local artists in the city. And it's all told through like really creative flavors of ice cream. Yeah. Which like what better vehicle than ice cream yeah. to do all of that work? Yeah, yeah. It's so fun. Cause I think ice cream, it's just naturally like, why wouldn't you, you can come in, you can taste as many flavors as you want. It's like the safest, most fun space you can ever like experience a product through. Yeah. That's awesome. So how did you come to ice cream? Because I don't, you weren't sort of on this culinary trajectory originally, right? I think you were yeah. going to business school. Yeah. Kind of. Um, I've made, well, yeah, I have my degree in Chinese and business. Okay. 
okay. which um, has nothing to do with ice cream. <laughs> right. But uh, you know, I mean, there are lessons there. Yeah, maybe. And I, I, I don't know. For me, it was really interesting. I had like a very, it was an interesting point in my life. I think I was 23. Um, it was actually a really hard time for me. My stepdad, my stepdad passed away okay. and, um, I have like a ton of brothers and sisters and I kind of had this realization like, why, why go out and travel and be studying, you know, business and a different la- you know, different language and all this. Like, what's the point? Like, I want to be home. I want to like impact the city around me and I want to know, you know, who I'm doing business with, uh, you know, be neighbors with, you know, some of my best friends. And so it was a, it was an interesting point to like move back home. Yeah. Um, and, it was cool because that became the impetus. Like, I really wanted to create a space where people could, you know, like, see that connection. And that was sort of the moment for you then, like this hard point in your life where you sort of turned to ice cream specifically or food or how did that sort of play out? It's so funny because I don't know if I, <clears throat> I'm like, I love ice cream, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like, I think food in general has this like, um, it's it's got a magic power of bringing people together. Like, you know, at a, at a certain point, uh, language doesn't matter. You know, culture doesn't matter. It's all about like who's coming to the table and just like enjoying what, what they're putting in their mouth. Like that's pretty cool. And so, yeah, it was less about like, honestly, it, it could have been anything. Um, it just so happened to be that we were like, we had this dream of using ice cream as a V, as, a, as that vehicle. And it just so happened that ice cream was the perfect vehicle to start telling those stories through. It's fascinating because I think like from a creative perspective, um, you know, you, you probably get this, like, I can only make something as long as it's frozen in, in a scoopable form. Mm-hmm. And those parameters are actually, like, really that, like, comforting for me. Okay. You know, like, I don't know if you get this, like, you can yeah. only, like, you can only have a podcast as long as X amount of time. You right. know, like, right. uh, it's so satisfying because then you can have, like, so much creativity within those very key parameters. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So you have these parameters, but you're also known for sort of breaking the, I guess, what, people might call norms of what they think ice cream is or could be or normally is, which was like something that I realized you or saw you doing very early on as I was reading through your book. You and your cousin are sort of pursuing this idea and you go to Goodwill and get some ice cream machines and like go home to your kitchen. And right away you're producing ice creams that are not like your chocolate and vanilla and whatever. Yeah. Sort of cook or, um, grocery store standards. Yeah. So that was like present for you very early on that pushing the bounds sort of in the flavors. Oh yeah. It was so interesting. Like, I mean, I, I learned how to emulsify bone marrow into cream before I learned how to temper chocolate properly. Right. Um, and <laughs> I think that's, uh, it's very indicative of, of how we started the company. And the cool thing is like, I, I was so raw at making, you know, green at making ice cream. It was, I was so fresh to the uh, pastry world in particular that uh-huh. it, when it came time to learning how to make, you know, temper chocolate, let's say I'd meet with like some of the best chocolatiers in the city of Portland and we'd, you know, I'd stage in their kitchen for a week. Um, or, and then, you know, that, that same philosophy applied to beer. So if I wanted to make beer ice cream, I'd get to hang out with these brewers and, um, we'd be at the end of the week, be making beer and cream instead of water. Right. Um, and so it was just kind of this really like amazing way to grow up from a small business and like learn about flavor. 
um, from those around us. I think this, it like permeated its way into the future of our company too. This idea of like collaboration, but it was almost like forced collaboration. Right? Yeah. Like that's I didn't so know what I was doing. <laughs> right. Right. And interesting that you relied on so many other people in col- mostly culinary fields to sort mm-hmm. of help you, um, because you didn't go to culinary school, right? You're not sort of professionally trained in a culinary way. I spent like, um, Six months in culinary school. Okay. So you spent a little time in culinary <laughs> school. <laughs> for right. savory, which it has, you know. For savory, yeah. But you're making these ice creams that are, and, and this was really interesting to me in your book, sort of connected in some way to the precursors to ice cream, right? Yeah. So you talk about some of the foods that were sort of the precursors to ice cream um, in China and Persia and France and yeah. and what sort of ingredients they were using. Can you talk a little bit about that and when yeah. you sort of realized that connection? Yeah, I mean, the connection with, I mean, for me, I love, like, I love learning. So I, I love looking into this history of food. And, um, what really fascinated me with, fascinated me with ice cream is that ice cream, it's a lot like beer making, right? Like, okay. up until like the 1990 or 1900s, up until like the 1900s, really, like, there were no rules, like, and there's no reason to have rules. Like you're making beer and you've got flowers. Let's make a flower beer. You've got beer. Right. You've got fruit. Let's make a fruit beer. Sure. You know, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, like, you know, come the 1930s, 1940s, all that just got washed out. And the same thing happened with ice cream. I think the same thing. You look at some like really old, like 200 year old recipes and you'd find artichoke ice cream. Right. Which seems like ridiculous. And you'd find that at salt and straw and be like, what were they thinking? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, actually, like this is not that weird. It's just that we got so like used to vanilla chocolate and then like the weirdest flavor we could create was what pecan yeah something butter pecan butter pecan <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i think we just kind of got brainwashed for a hundred years there and uh you know, just like beer it's just like so many foods in our culture it kind of just got washed out and yeah um so kind of looking past into that 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 rich history there's so much food and so many flavors that just really blow up to me and again wouldn't seem that weird just like 200 years ago right yeah, that's so interesting. So you've experimented with so many different flavor combinations and flavor profiles in ice cream. Surely there are some that haven't worked, right? Or, or have, have all of them yeah. been a huge a success? A lot of them. Don't a lot work. of them. Can, can you tell us about some? And, and um, obviously we're in San Francisco and I think I saw a mention in your book that at one point you maybe tried to do a sourdough ice cream. Yeah. The sourdough ice cream worked well. It I did. Think. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. There's always like, I, I think of every flavor as like a puzzle, right? And you have to like really go about the journey and like try a lot of things that won't work. Okay. Um, yeah. So sourdough ice cream, you know, what, what worked really well is we actually, we made like a sourdough starter, like a sourdough mom. Sure. Um, but made it, kept feeding it with liquid. So it was like a juicy sourdough starter. And okay. that became like the sugar for our ice cream. Okay. Um, so that worked pretty well. It was good. Super funky. Interesting. Uh, you know, I think there's always a way to unlock it, like depending on kind of the story that you want to tell, there's usually a way to go about it. Um, I've had really bad luck with seafood in an ice cream. Yeah. As it turns out, I, I don't know if you'd see that coming. I mean, I, I, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd see that coming. Uh, um, yeah. We tried a cre- <laughs> crab roll Neapolitan ice cream that was, uh, oh yeah. It was, as bad as you'd expect. Yeah. Um, Have you ever gotten seafood to work? Uh, sea urchin works okay. really well. Like, I think it's got a really nice, clean flavor. Yeah. That's crab, fish, 
you know, salmon, none of that, like smoked salmon does not work in ice cream. Okay. Um, Cheetos. I've also had like, I, I've got a pretty miserable story actually is in culinary school. I was like, I was in pastry class for like three weeks and we had an ice cream class and I was like, Oh, I, I make ice cream. I have a food cart in Portland. Right. I, and so I, um, I was trying this new technique where you just steep, you can steep whatever you want in ice cream. It's really easy. Just like you want a uh, pretzel ice cream, steep pretzels in your cream and it, yeah. Strain them out, taste like pretzels. Uh, yeah. You want to make cereal ice cream, et cetera, et cetera. So I, uh, made flaming hot Cheetos ice cream, which you just steep it. Yeah. <laughs> let it sit overnight <laughs> and just strain it out. And it seemed like a, I was like, yes, this is awesome. It's going to taste like Cheetos. And it did. And my pastry teacher was like, um, it really reminds me of something. I was like, what does it remind you of? That's awesome. Right. Like uh-huh. it's sparking a moment in your sure. life. She's like, no, it reminds me of like, Long car rides with my dog vomiting in the back of my car. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh. yeah, that's not the memory you want. <laughs> so, uh, we haven't, I've never made Cheetos ice cream before <laughs> since then. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I would place a lot of trust in you when it comes to telling me what works in ice cream, but I, I can't get my mind around the Cheetos ice cream no. either, especially yeah. the flaming hot. <laughs> so how did the cookbook come to be then? When did you decide that you should take, you know, what you're doing and, and you're expanding? Yeah. ice cream business and turn it into a cookbook. I mean, it was fascinating. I think about five or six years ago, um, we were, you know, just a really young company just about to open in Los Angeles. And Francis okay. Lamb came to us, who was like one of my idols. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I think you guys have an interesting story. There's every aspect of your flavors, your upbringing, like the way you think about community in, in a ice cream space. It needs to be told. That kicked off like this six-year journey yeah. Of writing a book. That's which, how long it took. Yeah. And it, honestly, it was fascinating. So just like even putting together a brief and like sending it to him and like getting his feedback, it, it took a really, really long time, but it's kind of perfect timing. Honestly, it, it, it's coming out right at this really momentous occasion where we're starting to grow. You know, we opened in San Diego and Orange County and we're starting to kind of reach out to where people don't quite know us as well. Okay. Um, and, uh, and it becomes almost this like flag bearer of like, this is who we are. This is why we care so much about every single flavor. And I think reading through it, hopefully you get that. There's so much thought and intention behind every partnership that we make and every ingredient that we use. Sure. Who is the audience for your cookbook? Are you mostly thinking home cooks? Yeah, I love this idea of, I mean, I'm hoping a lot of home cooks take this away. And, um, I think I'm hoping that this kind of launches a, a revolution of making ice cream at home. Yeah. Uh, it's so fun and easy to make ice cream at home. And people and, are really afraid to. I know. You say it's easy, but it, I feel like a lot of people are terrified of making yeah. ice cream. Well, case in point, when I w- started the company, I went and got like four ice cream makers, $4 a piece. Okay. This um, is that goodwill? Yeah. yeah. And you're like, of course, you know, there's that's four people who got scared of ever making ice cream because, right. you know, they had all these asp- aspirations. And... It's a bummer because ice cream making, it's like, I think of ice cream like making soup, right? Like you start with a really great stock. And in our case, we start with a great ice cream base and then you can do whatever you want with it. You want to like make a tomato soup, like blend tomatoes in it. Sure. Uh, it's tomato soup. Right. Go figure. Right. Um, you know, like a cream sauce, pour a little cream in it. Right. Uh, it's the same with ice cream. You start with ice cream base and you want chocolate, like put some chocolate in it. You want kale ice cream, blend some kale into it, you know, like whatever yeah. you could dream of. And so. That's where we have, I think my hope is it just kind of opens some eyes up to that, um, that idea of just freedom and uh, wonderment, I guess, the wonderment of ice cream making. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully that's that. I, for me, it, 
the biggest debate that we had was like, you know, again, Francis, my editor, he's in New York and Mm -hmm. we, we had this pretty heated debate about like how much of like Portland do we infuse into this? And that was a really fascinating aspect of this because for me, I grew up in the Portland food scene. Like this is, it's my home and, um, everything about our company, I think it comes from that core of like working with really amazing partners and hunting down these ingredients that you can only get from this guy that like is roasting chocolate in his basement or, you know, like, right. Or this other guy who's like driving out to the coast every weekend to to harvest salt. Yeah. And I think that's like, it was really important for me to like highlight those stories, but like more than that, highlight the inspiration of flavor through those stories. And so it, it's, it'd be interesting because my dream is someone in Detroit is reading this and like, um, you know, it goes to the farmer's market and finds their own story and uses this, these recipes as a blueprint more to create their own flavors. Yeah. I mean, I'm from the Midwest and yeah. I grew up going to sweet corn festivals every summer and I was looking yes. through the book and there's a sweet corn ice cream in there. Yeah. Um, that just like really spoke to me in that same oh. way. So that's, that's so interesting that you talk about that because your shops are so rooted in, the community. So obviously Portland originally, but as you've expanded, you've yeah. worked to incorporate local flavors. And so you're sort of doing the same for any reader of the book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's exciting. You know, every shop, every location that you go to at Salt and Straw, it's going to have a, a menu dedicated to that city. Yeah. And um, that's really important for me. I think it's like at its core, like, first of all, no company's ever grown in that way. Like gone to open in different cities and had completely different menus, different hiring techniques, different community-based partnership programs, things like that. And so I think there's something there, like this, this like freedom that ice cream gives us to really like mold ourselves to the community. We'll be right back with the second half of our conversation with Tyler Malik. But first, we're catching up with Salt and Spine friend and cookbook reviewer Paula Forbes about what's trending in this fall's new cookbook releases. Hi, Paula. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. So we're here to talk about some of the cookbooks that are coming out this fall. Somehow it's fall 2019 already, and I'm hoping you can share. <laughs> Crazy. I'm hoping you can share um, some of the highlights and themes that you're seeing uh, for this fall. Sure, absolutely. So I think that one of the big things that's happening this fall is a bunch of classic cookbooks are getting refreshes or reissues. The biggest one coming, in my opinion, is The Joy of Cooking is getting a big reboot. They do this sort of every once in a while, retest and update the recipes and add sort of new and modern versions. Right. Um, the, the last one was in 2006, um, so they're they're due. Um, and this one's going to have 600 new recipes, so that's pretty exciting, I think. Wow. Yeah, that is exciting. And I love, actually, if people follow cookbooks and have looked at various Joy of Cooking versions over the years, you can really sort of see how culinary trends change over time, right? Like I remember there's a specific edition that had some recipes for squirrel that are Mm -hmm. no longer, I'm guessing won't be in this reissue, but who knows? We'll see. Um, But you can really (laughs) sort of track um, the culinary trends and the evolution of cooking through those Joy of Cooking versions. Yes, exactly. And to that uh, end, this version is going to have a lot more um, vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free recipes. And also um, an emphasis on uh, what they're calling streamlined cooking. So recipes that save time and effort and money in the kitchen. Yeah, well, that's super exciting. I can't wait to see the new Joy of Cooking. What else are you seeing this fall? 
so this fall, there are um, a lot of seafood books coming out that we'll talk about some other time. Okay. Um, we have a couple books coming out that I'm really excited about that are sort of undercovered cuisines. The first one is um, Tony Tipton Martin's Jubilee. Yeah. And um, it's sort of a companion cookbook. She wrote this book called The Jemima Code that was about the forgotten and in some cases covered up history of African-American cookbook authors. So this is the recipes that came out of that research. Um, I'm really excited about that book. I think it's going to be great. And she's such a scholar. I mean, she's really, The Mm -hmm. Jemima Code, she really approached from a research perspective and, and put a lot of um, energy into that book. And so I'm really excited to see this companion recipe book too. Exactly. I think it's going to be a a real big book this fall. And then another book on a totally different cuisine that I'm looking forward to is Meredith Erickson's Alpine Cooking. Um, Yeah. Really delicious cuisine for whatever reason, not covered very often by cookbooks, but it's that like cold weather wine food, lots of melted cheese, lots of like rich pastas and things. And I think that that'll be great for the, you know, winter buckle down cooking season. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I that book came across my desk and, and I sort of did a double take because it's one, it's such a beautiful cover. But two, I think I personally haven't had a lot of exposure to the concept of alpine cooking, but you're sort of arguing that it is really translatable for home cooks too. I think it can be. I think that um, the biggest challenge for home cooks might be getting a hold of the specific cheeses, the specific wines, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. But um, I do think it's a lot of, you know, like slow simmered things um, that are exactly what you're looking to cook in the colder months. Yeah. So not a big year for restaurant books or super chefy books? No. Okay. Interesting. There, with a few notable exceptions. So Sean Brock has um, a cookbook coming out this fall, South, that is, you know, magnum opus of all of the things that Sean Brock does. Um, right. Hugh Atchison has a book on sous vide coming out. Okay. Uh, Paul Cahan from Chicago has a book on um, casual dinner party entertaining stuff. But yeah, there's not a ton, a ton of restaurant books coming out this fall. Well, I'm really excited about all of these books, and I'm hoping to have you back um, again to talk about some of these uh, in more detail. Thanks so much, Paula. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We're gearing up for the 50th episode of Salt and Spine in just a few weeks, if you can believe it. In just over a year since our launch, we have loved telling the stories behind cookbooks by sitting down with dozens of your and my favorite cookbook authors. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostra and Alison Roman, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring in-person interviews with your favorite cookbook authors. Plus, we're publishing recipes, holding cookbook author events, cookbook giveaways, and so much more. In fact, this podcast is only possible because of, here's my little PBS tune, listeners like you. And that's why to celebrate our 50th episode, we're running a special promotion. If you become a sponsor of Salt and Spine this month, you'll be entered into a contest to win one of several cookbooks from our recent guests. That's in addition to other perks of becoming a sponsor, like Salt and Spine bookmarks, t-shirts, and more. Now you can join the Salt and Spine community and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content every week week starting at just two dollars a month find out more and join the salt and spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash salt a-n-d spine 
Now back to our conversation with Tyler Malik, author of The Salt and Straw Cookbook. I think I read that you've made over 500 ice cream flavors in your life. Yeah, I kind of stopped. Something. I stopped counting at 500. Okay, so, I'm, so at least that. I'm yeah. I'm gonna estimate like 623 or something like that. Okay, so you've got 623 <laughs> in your bank, and how do you decide which ones go into the cookbook? Uh, that was <laughs> that's a great question. Was that hard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was really hard. And actually, thanks for asking because as a disclaimer, there's. Uh, everyone I meet, their favorite flavor isn't in the book. Right. Um, and everyone I meet, it's people. a different yeah. favorite flavor. I'm sure. Like, oh, dang it. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is like awesome. And like, a, I, I take as a compliment just as much as criticism. Um, yeah. But, uh, my favorites in there. So, oh, good. Mine's this, um, the sea salt ice cream with caramel. Oh, oh yes. yeah. Yeah. That, that's a fun one to make too. It's yeah. Good, like, okay. I'm going to put it on my list. Yeah. So um, how'd you decide then? Yeah, for me, I think like, I love this idea of like tempo. And when you're reading through a cookbook, like, and I, I know like 90% of people out in the world are not going to read it in order of how it's written. But sure. for the 10% that are, it's written in order of like this, um, kind of like building up this momentum. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really exciting. So as you're reading through the book, like both like if you're making the recipes or if you're just reading the recipes, there's, there's, uh, it kind of tees you up through our process of how we kind of, think about creativity as a whole. So the first, you know, half of the book is dedicated towards really fun plays on some flavors that you might have already seen or uh-huh. um, something that you might expect, but done in a really thoughtful way. Sure. The um, classics. Yeah. And as you kind of walk through it, you start getting the feel for like, oh, I see how they think about like ingredients from this perspective or how they're inspired by ingredients from this perspective. And then slowly it just kind of like um, gets to a cliff that we just push you off of. And by the <laughs> right. time you get to like this, there's a whole chapter dedicated to a, this program program that we do with local elementary schools where the fourth graders invent all of our flavors. And yeah. once you get there, all of a sudden we're at like um, making kale, ch- candied kale chips and a Parmesan ice cream. And, right. Um, like, That's a super fun chapter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it, like I said, we're just like, you just get to the edge and we just push you off and right. we're like, good luck, have fun with like thoughtful, like amazing creative ideas at this point. Yeah. But you also weave in a lot of tips for making ice cream because Mm -hmm. you just talked about how easy it is to make ice cream at home. But at the same time, um, a couple that stood out were like the snickerdoodle ice cream and the brownie ice cream and things that like you might make your own ice cream at home and just throw in some brownies that you made and it it might not work for varying reasons or even the story about the caramel and your process of sort of understanding how caramel needs to exist in order to maintain its form in ice cream so there are some sort of like guidelines in that sense yeah. One of my favorite books when I was really just diving into uh, pastry and baking was, uh, Bakewise. I don't know if you, if you've read that book. Yeah. I know of it. Yeah. It I, was, I haven't read it closely, but it's one of those books where you read through it and like, I, I love, she added the section where, um, it's blocked out and it says like, you know, why this recipe works or what we learn. Sure. Um, and it's just like, you know, this dense, like science of baking. And there's something about that that I really, for me, and I think every, everyone learns differently, but for me, if I can learn the whys about a recipe, it opens it up to, I start asking a thousand different questions. Like, yeah. well, if that works like that, could I replace this with, you know, um, 
pig's blood or, you know, right, like right. Or whatever I could, you know, like, can I start playing with that, um, that formula and start tweaking it? And so we w- wanted to include that. I think I thought that was really a cool way to just unleash creativity. Yeah. Um, and so for the people that are willing to kind of like dive that level deeper, it hopefully kind of gives you something more to hang on to. Yeah. You mentioned Bakewise. Are there other cookbooks or authors um, or works that have been really influential to you, either in putting this book together or yeah. over the course of your ice cream career? Yeah, I think one of my favorites to go to, there's a book called The Flavor Thesaurus, which is yeah. a really fun one. It's a great book. Um, and whenever I feel stuck about with ingredients, um, it's a great place for me to start. Um, I love how much history she goes into about flavors and like the I, it just like, again, it kind of like, it's this nod to that thoughtfulness of how in- ingredients kind of go together. Right. Um, Brooks Headley, fancy desserts, yeah. I think was one of my favorites. Like it was just, especially from like a, um, you know, now being in the pastry world for so long, like just at its core, it's, it's fun with, or he's, he has fun with his ingredients, but at the same time, like you can see just like how methodical he is with every single step and every sure. page of the book is methodically written. Yeah. Um, so those are some of my top ones, I would say. Yeah. Has your recipe testing process changed over time or did it change when you wrote this cookbook and started to think about um, your recipes from the perspective of a home cook? Yeah, my recipe writing process has changed drastically over the past really five years. Um, you know, what's amazing about growth, like we've gone from, you know, one little push cart in Portland to... 19 stores now yeah. um, along the West Coast. And the coolest part about growing is that my team has grown. So I've got five people now on my R&D team. Uh-huh. I have an R&D team. Right. And it I they exists. have we yeah. have our own kitchen. Um, so it's a... And the kitchen is actually bigger than the kitchen I... Like the first actually two kitchens I ever started in. We're just dedicated to making new flavors and yeah. making sure that all of our ice creams are coming out in incredible ways. Um, and it's wild to think like as you grow, you can start investing in some of this um, groundbreaking style of testing and retesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it used to be like I'd make a flavor and... Um, be you know in the kitchen that night and be like i think i'm gonna make this and you serve it the next day and now we're at we're at a point where we're planning a menu a year in advance and wow and you know and it's necessary we have to we start working then with our farms 10 months in advance and we start working with you know like there's this kind of methodical approach to every recipe and ingredient we're using right um and that's pretty cool. I think that's like pretty eye-opening to see like what growth can bring to a company from that perspective did you learn anything about ice cream that you didn't know before you wrote this book? That's a great question. I went through like a journey of trying to like figure out how, how is a at home cook going to translate this to their kitchen? Yeah. And that was really hard for me. Um, because you know, I've gotten to a point where we think about ice cream making a little bit more like it's either high, high end pastry or like manufacturing. It's, it's merged somewhere right. there. Right. And neither of those two things are very applicable to an at home kitchen. Sure. You know, we're using tools and ingredients and, um, techniques that really just aren't replicable. And so that being said, like I didn't want to dumb down the recipes whatsoever. And so we kind of had this like internal struggle. Like, do we use some of these ingredients like, um, dry milk powder or, yeah. um, xanthan gum? Like, right. Do we hide it or do we, you know, just like lean into it and say like, this is what makes great ice cream. This is what the professionals are using. Go find it. Uh, Yeah. Or do we kind of like cheat it and try and replace it with something that's more accessible? 
Um, and we didn't, I didn't want to dumb that down. Uh, and so that's kind of the, this path that we took to try and like make it so that it's, it's both like we can talk about it. We can like own it and tell you why it's so important that to use these really unique ingredients, but at the same time, like not scare people away. Sure. Well, we always end with a little game. Okay. So I thought we'd play a game. There's some cards, um, to this, to your side. I think they go in, I would say like they go in order from blue being the hardest to yellow being the easiest generally. Um, I have a feeling we probably can't stump you, but I'm wondering if you can draw, we'll do a couple rounds and draw as many as you'd like, but I would say at least two cards. And then I'm going to ask you to tell us how you would merge those ingredients into an ice cream. Oh, like they all have to go together. They all have to go together. So at least two. So if you want to, maybe the first round, pick two and we'll see how we do. Did you rig this? I'm not going to pull I didn't rig it and I shuffled them. So, but you can pull from wherever you'd like. Watching you. (laughs) Wow. You, oh, you drew four. Okay. You're going all in. (laughs) All right. What are they? First is a secret ingredient called fish sauce. All right. Fish sauce. The second is a protein called ground beef. Oh, okay. The third is basil. Okay, nice herb. And the fourth is a secret ingredient called Taylor ham. I've never heard of Taylor ham. I haven't ham. either. Is it a... Pork-based processed meat from New Jersey. Slice, fry, uh, t- spam, basically, I Okay, think. A, a higher-end spam, I guess. Ham. It's like, like a cold-cut ham yeah. from New Jersey. <laughs> all right. It's all also right. known as pork roll in South Jersey. Oh, pork roll. I've heard of, Okay, all right. <laughs> You've heard of... Does that help? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if I've ever had it, but... So we've got ground beef and pork roll with fish sauce, with fish and, sauce and basil. basil. Tell us the ice cream. The ground beef, oddly enough, is the stumper. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Pork roll. I'm all over that. Yeah. That's so great. how would you incorporate okay, okay. that? Okay. Let's do this. Uh, let's start with, I want to make a caramel with the fish sauce. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had like fish sauce caramelized. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. um, so that'd be pretty easy. Yeah. Do you mean to go step by step? Like, sure. How yeah. Walk this? us through okay. it. Yeah. Walk I'll us through it. Give you a recipe. So I want to start with like some less purified sugar, like some, um, palm sugar, you know? Right. Right. Like a little bit of palm sugar, a little bit of cane sugar, start to caramelize that. Yeah. That's um, with the fish sauce. Maybe we'll do it without the fish sauce at start. Got like, it. Get it to burn for a second. Um, and then add the fish sauce and a little bit of coconut cream and maybe a little bit of heavy cream. Okay. Cook that down. So that's our caramel. Uh-huh. Put it off to the side, cool it. Uh, it's candy, the ham? Candy? We're going to candy it. Okay. Yeah. So I'd slice it really thin. Okay. And then um, maybe like dehydrate it until uh-huh. you get almost like ham chips. Okay. <laughs> delicious. Yeah, that sounds um, delicious. And then I think that would like be really good. You know, like we do a perline recipe. So like oh, yeah. get some sugar and like force a crystallization and okay. toss in the, the ham. Okay. Um. The basil, can we take some liberty? This is probably like Thai basil, right? Sure, yeah. It must be. Any variety of basil. That's what it yeah. sure looks like. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thai basil, a little bit of lemongrass, steep that in heavy cream, with uh-huh. a little bit of coconut cream, do like a 50-50 mix, make that the ice cream base. Okay. And then I'm left with ground beef. Yeah. So I've got my ice cream base. I've got candied ham, fish sauce, and ground beef. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real stumper. Well, okay, we've got our ice cream. We've got like a caramel ribbon going through it, candied ham, speckling it. That's yeah. actually a good ice cream so far. I mean, I'm I'm all on board now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not sure how you're going to do the We should do a topping beef. with the ground beef, I think. You know, like a crumble topping. Yeah. Maybe like saute the beef okay. until it gets pretty dried out and like with some spices, like some 
freshly zested, like a cinnamon, star anise, maybe like some dried fruits, like a apricot, and like just saute it all together until it dries out. A little extra sugar and until it gets like real crumbly. Yeah. And then a um, beef crumble, beef, if you will. <laughs> beef crumble, spiced <laughs> beef crumble. Make that the topping. So okay. we'll like, and then maybe a cherry on top. Oh wow, a cherry on top. I don't know. That was okay. <laughs> doesn't really pair with everything. I don't know. I can I can see it. I can see it. I'm fully I on board. Okay the ground beef, the ground I beef, think yeah. you've you've maybe convinced me. Um, I don't know if I convinced myself about the ground beef. All right. Actually, as we're talking about flavors that don't go well with ice cream, I think ground beef might be one of them. Okay. Yeah. I might have identified that one might, of the few. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, let's do one more round. Okay, you okay. you went all in. You got all I, four. Okay. Should I go five this time? Sure. I like the yeah. secret ingredient pile. Yeah, those okay. are the, sort of the wild cards. All right, here we go. I've got two secret ingredients, two flavors, and one vegetable. Okay. So, scrapple, pork right. scraps and cornmeal cooked in a gruel. Cilantro. Okay. Mint. Okay. It's good. Good combo. Mm-hmm. Octopus. Oh. And tomato. And tomato. All right, and we just talked about the challenges around seafood. Yeah, seafood. I'm not exactly sure how octopus freezes. This will be an interesting <laughs> octopus. I couldn't, I couldn't stretch that to squid ink, could I? That seems a little fishy. It's a uh, little fishy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, let's start with the ice cream. Scrapple, pork scraps and cork and cornmeal cooked into gruel, poured into a pan. Think cheap meatloaf. Hmm. I think I grabbed too many cards. <laughs> I don't know. I, I admire your adventurous spirit and okay, that okay. you're really okay. dedicating yourself to this game. Uh, the cilantro and mint are clear. They love each other. Yeah. Like, that's pretty simple. You got to use the cilantro stems, too. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. use the whole thing. A little bit of lime juice uh, or a lot of lime juice, let's say. Fish sauce would have been perfect for this, but we'll keep that out for now. So lime juice, cilantro, mint, tossed all together. Uh, put that over the tomatoes, um, lightly mash the tomatoes, let that sit overnight. Okay. Strain it out and we'll end up with like a clarified liquid, right? Uh huh. That's good juice for like, let's a good sorbet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So it's a tomato-y herby sorbet. Yeah. At this point. Okay. And then with the scrapple, hmm, I haven't cooked with scrapple before. I'm not going to lie. Have you cooked with scrapple? I don't, I think I've eaten it, but I'm pretty sure I haven't cooked with it. Where does scrapple come from? What's the origin? Um, this is how you stall during a <laughs> yeah. the spelling bee. What's the yeah, origin of the word? The <laughs> yeah. uh, I do not know the history of Scrapple in the United States. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Could we try like a toasted white chocolate and pork Scrapple fudge? Sure, we could. I don't know if that's going to go with my tomato, um, my tomato water sorbet, but I'm just going to let's just say it does. Okay. Yep. I, my we're envisioning life. it. Okay. Yeah octopus you see how like octopus like you boil it real quick and then you put it in a mold and the day later it like what there's something about that it like resets in the shape or it, it's no. like in the shape no like yeah. it doesn't take on the shape of the mold or it, it does takes take on, on the, the shape, shape of the mold, of the mold. Yeah, yeah it does okay so like a oh. in spanish uh, there spanish cuisine there's like an old dish um i can't remember the name of it but they'll like stuff it into a can basically and then they take it out like a loaf and they'll slice it on a meat slicer okay get these really thin slices of basically like just a stiffened it's cool right. with octopus right um, and if you're just starting to listen you would not know we're talking about ice cream <laughs> so uh we could make like a waffle cone out of that. Okay. Out of 
the solidified sliced, octopus sliced o- octopus yeah 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 okay so bear with me like we'll do I'm, that i'm bearing with you we'll do that we'll like um you know get that like chilled like pre-cooked octopus um put some butter you know butter on each side sprinkle sugar put it on a waffle iron okay you know like a waffle cone iron right uh-huh and cook it and the sugar should like caramelize a little bit and maybe we'll play with those that sugar add a couple spices or whatever something to marry with the scrapple and cilantro mint tomato okay and then, <laughs> um you roll it up and like a, and the sugar will harden like a waffle cone okay um, yeah and then we have octopus waffle cone put a scoop of ice cream in that so octopus waffle cone, we've got a tomato and cilantro mint sorbet, mm-hmm. and it's all coated in a white chocolate scrapple ganache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. it. Sounds really subpar. <laughs> I don't know. I I, don't I, I I admire that. I feel like Thank that was a, a very valiant creation. I don't on your know if part. I would try that. I I'm not sure if I would either. <laughs> But you know what? It works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> All right. I'm waiting. I'm going to see if it's ever on the menu at Salt and <laughs> yeah, Straw. <deal. laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tyler. Thanks for this having was fun. me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And let's head now to Omnivore Books in San Francisco, where we're chatting with Celia Sack in this week's From the Vault. Hi, Celia. How are you? Hi, Brian. I'm doing well. Great. So we just sat down with Tyler Malik to talk about his cookbook, The Salt and Straw Ice Cream Cookbook, and I'm hoping you have some wisdom to share with us. Well, yeah, he's such a sweetheart. Isn't I he? love yeah. him. And he came, he, his place is up in Portland, right. but of course, he's opened other um, ice cream shops in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And uh, what I love is that he takes some ingredient f- that's very endemic of the place uh, that he's making the ice cream for. That's right. And blends that into his ice creams. Yes. And he was very smart because he starts out with ice creams that are really sort of commonplace and that we're used to uh-huh. palate wise. And then he increases into things that we're totally not used to and that, that sound actually kind of scary <laughs> or freaky or, or <laughs> at least uh, savory. Sure. And that's, yes. that's the nicest way to put it. Um, <laughs> but those can, you know, once you've sort of mastered the basics, you're, you're trusting in him. And so you feel more comfortable making the others. He has a really good ice cream that I took home with me. Okay. They were, they were kind enough to send ahead a bunch of ice creams which actually didn't arrive until the day after his oh, event no. so, you and so, I, yeah. <laughs> so i ended up with all of them in my right. <laughs> and um there's one that has strawberry it's a strawberry ice cream but he uses strawberry jam instead of okay. strawberries yeah. and it's a really nice twist because the jam gets really soft while you're eating it but the ice cream stays hard and it right. sort of coats your whole mouth and it's wonderful. Yeah. And I think people look at ice cream cookbooks and sort of worry that it's hard to do ice cream at home, right? And we're right. just sort of celebrating, I think it's 20 years of David Leibovitz's ice cream book now. That's right. Um, so there's this, this long standing history of mm-hmm. books sort of since his that have followed in his footsteps of producing beautiful ice cream books, but there's still sort of, I think, an intimidation factor for home cooks. Yeah. Around ice, ice cream is cream. so easy. Well, one thing that I recommend to people that I do for myself is with my ice cream machine, uh-huh. which is a Cuisinart, it comes with a booklet of making ice creams. And the first whole group of them is not 
anything that you have to cook. Right. You just, it, it doesn't include a custard. So, uh, the mint chip there, there's some really simple ones that are fantastic. And there's a strawberry one. Okay. Fantastic. Um, and you don't need, it's just, you just need milk and cream and your ice cream machine and a little bit of extract when you, right. if you're going to make it with mint or almond. Sure. And it's super easy. So yeah. once you get used to doing that, then you can challenge yourself to doing a little bit more and a little bit more. Right. Then we'll, we'll take Tyler guidance and exactly, go down these exactly. crazy crazy paths but i really recommend yeah. starting out with like the booklet that your ice cream maker comes with because okay. that's going to start you with the easiest possible recipes and yeah. you feel like a champ when right. you, when you've done them right homemade so, ice cream How i impressive. actually made an apple i made up <laughs> i was so <laughs> okay. i thought i was so clever but of course it turns out other people make this too but it was an apple pie one oh, yeah. where i ended up and i didn't make a custard at all but i ended up chopping up apples that we grow up in tamales and uh putting in chopped nuts and a little cinnamon and it tasted like apple pie. It was so good. That sounds so delicious. yeah. So you'll, you'll end up getting more and more confident. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Celia. My pleasure. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on saltandspine.com. There you'll find two recipes from Tyler Malik, a recipe for his goat cheese, Marionberry habanero ice cream and one for his Meyer Lemon Blueberry Buttermilk Custard. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. And you can join the Salt and Spine community today and get lots of perks at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers hands-on classes and events for home cooks. You can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Paula Forbes, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Every weekday, I cover a bunch of stuff. Policies, social issues, news of the day, things you actually give a damn about. All right. But if you're listening to the podcast on the Facebook platform, I need you to make a switch. All right. Because that feature is going away on June 3rd. All right. June 3rd, that feature will go away. So I need you to jump on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcast to make sure that I can still keep bringing you this indisputable content. All right, let's make it happen. Don't miss an episode of Indisputable. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.